This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Reed Redmond. I'm Spencer Brudig. I'm Will Johnson. This show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. This week on True Crime Chronicles, horrible crime in a Florida town. The brutality of the murder shocked police and neighbors. Police believe that Wilson used a hammer and a knife to kill the boys. They won't never have a life. You know, their life is over, and it's awful. That somebody could do this to little children. After that, we'll head north to Tennessee, where a morbid discovery could solve an old mystery. The skull was on an unidentified person's mantle wearing a pair of sunglasses. We begin this week with a story from Melrose, Florida, about an hour away from Jacksonville, and the murder of two young boys found inside their home. I'm joined by Haley Harrison, an investigative journalist at First Coast News in Jacksonville. Haley, what do we know about the suspect, Mark Wilson Jr., and the family that he's involved with, and the boys who are the victims in this case? What we've understood from the sheriff's office and investigators is that Mark Wilson the relation to him and the Baker family is that he was, he, I, I guess, was dating at the time the aunt of the two young boys who, you know, tragically were killed in their um, mobile home in Melrose. So he was living with the aunt. He was invited with the aunt um, to live at their home in Melrose um, because, I guess, allegedly they were homeless. So they kind of the Baker family gave them a place to stay. And Haley, do we know anything about where or what this guy had been up to in preceding years? Mark Wilson Jr. was homeless, but did he have a criminal past or anything like that? We don't have a total big picture of where he was before. We do know just, you know, I, I the family, the Baker family had just moved to Melrose, so they didn't even have a long history um, in Melrose. Um so we don't know too much about his past. The sheriff's office, Putnam County Sheriff's Office, did mention at the original press conference that Mark Wilson did have a criminal history. It didn't involve any violence, but he did have a record. And I ask these questions about Mark Wilson Jr. because the crimes he's charged with are so shocking, it seems helpful to just try and understand where someone is coming from. But let's go back to the murders and when this happened, back in August of this year, right? The homicides happened at the end of August. We were out there for a couple days covering it, and obviously the first announcement came out that a 14-year-old, Tayton, and then a 12-year-old, Robert Baker, were killed. Um, The sheriff announced then that they were stabbed with a knife and bludgeoned with a hammer. I mean, these two young boys, just getting that those sort of reports out of the gate was just shocking to such a small community in Florida. I mean, Melrose is a very small community. This family was brand new to the area. I mean, neighbors I spoke to were not even familiar with the family. You know, they, they realized they had just moved in. Um, so it was just pretty shocking right away um, what we found out originally. And the arrest of 30-year-old Mark Wilson happened pretty quickly. Um, The original investigation wrapped up pretty quickly. And we got those documents, um, I think, mid-September, the arrest report from the Putnam County Sheriff's Office, which quoted investigators saying Wilson confessed that he and his girlfriend, the boy's aunt, planned to kill the entire family. So... What was already a really tragic story about two young boys being killed with a knife and a hammer kind of just 
got worse in September after we got these new reports from investigators. So according to those reports, a day after the murders, the sheriff's office report says a recorded meeting between Wilson and an unnamed witness took place. And that's where Wilson admitted that he and his girlfriend or the boy's aunt planned to split up the killings. So according to that report, Wilson had planned to kill the 12-year-old and 14-year-old boys. And then the aunt was supposed to kill, I guess, her sister and the boy's four-year-old sibling. And that's, of course, according to Wilson and what he said to that witness. Um, The aunt isn't facing charges at this time. There has been no update to that um, from the state attorney or the sheriff's office. But that was just the original arrest report that we got in September. Um, And even in that report, Mark went on to say he was angry because the girlfriend did not follow through after he killed the two boys. It's just so sad to look at the pictures of these two young boys, just your, you know, typical looking young boys. And it's just so heartbreaking to think this could happen to two kids inside their home. And then you hear weeks later that he planned to kill his whole family or, or at least this family. I think the big question is why. Yeah, and I think that's something that we still don't understand. According to that arrest report, I mean, the Putnam County Sheriff's Office said that apparently he felt the boy's family was trying to put stress on his family by reporting them to the Florida Department of Children and Families, but we haven't been able to get any additional information from officials on why that would be. Um, So there's no telling why DCF is or was involved at all or why he'd be worried about something like that. Um, But apparently that's, according to Wilson and what investigators heard from the witness, that is um, what was said. But yeah, I mean, there's just a case like this, especially just as it got worse and worse with new reports, it's, it's, it's hard to swallow. I mean, going out there and going live in a neighborhood that, you know, there's so many neighbors that are kind of off the grid out there and, you know, something like this happens across the street from them. I mean, they can't understand. And even as a reporter, it's hard for me to, to swallow. Haley, have prosecutors said what they plan to seek in terms of punishment? Yeah. So they just had the indictment last week. Um, Mark Wilson Jr. is facing two counts of first degree murder, burglary with battery and burglary while armed. Um, so four different counts, um, they are seeking the death penalty. The state attorney last week was super confident when he made this announcement. He said he spoke with the family and other colleagues and said there was no hesitation to seek the death penalty um, and that they are very comfortable and confident in their decision to do so. All right, and Haley, we also have some audio of a virtual press conference where investigators talked about uh, what they are seeking in terms of punishment and this case in general. We've consulted with the family before we made this decision, as well as consulting with the executive team and the homicide prosecutors. I can tell you it was not a difficult decision to make. These are some of the most brutal murders that I've ever heard about. I can tell you that the defendant he attacked these kids without mercy. Here is not the place to uh, to have a trial by public perception, but I can say only that this is truly one of the most horrific crime scenes that I've ever seen in my life. My sincere hope is that uh, this matter will be brought to uh, to closure swiftly 
uh, to provide some additional closure for the family. It's just absolutely horrifying to me as a parent that uh, these two young men lost their life uh, prematurely and that their parents are having to endure this. All right. And at this point with COVID and trials taking a while to get underway in some cases, uh, who knows when this will actually go to trial, but we will keep our listeners posted. Haley Harrison, investigative journalist at First Coast News in Jacksonville, Florida. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Next on True Crime Chronicles, we turn our attention to a rather bizarre case in Tennessee. I'm joined by John North. He's an investigative journalist at WBIR in Knoxville, Tennessee. John, on today's show, we're talking about a skull that's been identified. But as we get into this story, it's really all about where this skull turned up, right? Well, it, it honestly, Will, it's kind of a typical East Tennessee story. I hate to say it, but it's the truth. The situation is basically, uh, as I understand it, roughly a year and a half ago, uh, a young man was over at his dad's rental house in a rural county called Morgan County in an unincorporated area. And he notices a skull sitting on the mantle. It's a human skull. And he says uh, to the renter, the tenant, he says, uh, yeah, what, what about that? What is that? And the tenant explains, according to police reports and according to authorities, that he'd been out back of the house walking with his dog. And this is a heavily wooded area. We've got lots of mountains and hills in East Tennessee, lots of woods. It's beautiful. But it's also a great place to hide skulls, I guess. And the man said he was out walking with his dog and the dog turned up the skull. And it appears that the man, the tenant, whose name is Brian Kennedy, then kept the skull and evidently put it on the mantle there in the rental house with a pair of sunglasses. And that's where it stayed for a while until it was spotted, as I say, in March of 2019. So, John, I have to say that if I personally found a skull in my backyard or wherever, I would probably think to r report it. Uh, it's a safe assumption if you and I are out walking anywhere and we find any kind of a bone that looks human, we're going to say, gee, uh, I probably shouldn't have this. Maybe there's some bad mojo here. I sure don't want it. Ooh, gross. And you're going to call the cops. That's what most people would do. And, and actually, Will, as you probably know, that's what most people do. And the truth is, typically... When something like that is found, it's an animal bone. It's not a human bone. So, yeah, a lot of us would make that call. Anyway, what happens next after the skull is found on a mantle with sunglasses? Yes, indeed. The, so the sheriff's office is notified about this, what appears to be legitimate human skull. They begin doing some uh, investigative work. They call out uh, a couple other agencies to help them. They go back to the back of the house where the man says he found the skull. And they search. Again, it's heavily wooded. They can't find anything else. But they have no idea of knowing how far back that skull's been there. But they find nothing else. It's very near one of our state prisons as well. So they actually called in some of the Department of Correction people to help as well. Came up with nothing but thought, well, hmm, who used to live in this house? And back in 2012, there was a man named Junior McCann who used to live in that house. He was 79 years old, and it turns out that his brother reported him missing from the house about four days after the brother says he last saw him. So using that information, Morgan County Sheriff's Office contacted our local uh, forensic office, which handles most of the autopsies for Knox County and Anderson County, 
and also contacted the University of Tennessee Department of Anthropology. Now, uh, some folks may not know it, but UT, University of Tennessee here in Knoxville, has a, a very well-known anthropology department that's known for forensic pathology. So they will, forensic anthropology, excuse me. So they will take bones. They can look at bones, whether it's a skull or a femur or whatever it is. And they can begin to determine what may have happened to the person. If there are marks on the bones that might indicate a weapon, they can do things as crazy sounding as if it's, uh, if it's for example, a skull that's been sitting out for a long time and there's a hole in it, they can look at it and determine maybe how long it's been there, how many seasons. They examine the leaves that may have gathered in the skull. They may look for dead larvae. They can, crazy as it sounds, it is kind of CSI stuff, they can determine roughly maybe how long a body has been sitting out there. So these two agencies were notified about Mystery Skull. Morgan uh, County Sheriff's Office knew Mr. McCann had lived at this house back in 2012 because his brother had reported him missing. So they, they also gathered DNA samples from some family members who were surviving. By this point, of course, it's we're eight years forward, basically, or seven years forward. And the uh, DNA material was sent off to North Texas. And we just learned this month, just about 10 days ago, that there is indeed a match, that that is Mr. Junior McCann, age 79, who wandered off or was no longer seen after a certain point of time in September 2012. And it's him. They've confirmed that. But it's important to remember the sheriff's office is not assuming that this is a natural or that it was an accident, and the DA actually, sort of in a very interesting twist, suggested this week that there have been quote-unquote rumors in the community that Junior might have been killed by a unnamed family member who is now dead. So I imagine the investigation will continue, but just to be clear, the sad and awful truth here is that this man lived in this house and his skull then returned to the home that he lived in. Hey, can you imagine you live in your house, you go away one day, maybe in the backyard, and somebody finds your remains and end up putting your head back on the fireplace mantle and you sit there for months and months and months and nobody knows who you are. It's weird. Life's weird. Yeah, life and death are, are weird. John, I know you've covered a lot of crime over the years. This has to rank up there nonetheless as one of the more bizarre stories. Well, it, it is unique and bizarre, but here's kind of the thing. Maybe I shouldn't let the secret out if you don't mind an old journalist saying this, but East Tennessee is kind of like that. So you could probably tell me any kind of a lunatic story, Will, about something happening here, and I would probably not be surprised. You could tell me, John, a spaceship has just been discovered in a county 50 miles up from you. Could you go check it out? And I'd be like, yeah, okay, I, I will. I, I might have bad cell service, but I'll get back to you. And I wouldn't be surprised if we did have a spaceship out there somewhere. This is just kind of the place, I don't want to seem cavalier when I say this, but there's always something going on in this part of the world. I moved here from Kansas City, Missouri, which was a much bigger, more sophisticated part of the world. And I got a good story out of that place maybe once every couple months. Here you get one almost every day. So just to underscore, no other remains have been found, only this the skull. Correct. There's been nothing else. And when uh, Clarence McCann, the brother, reported Junior missing, he mentioned... 
whether it's legitimate or not, we don't know. It's just what the report says, that Junior was wearing a blue shirt, kind of a uniform-style shirt with the letters J-R on the breast and a dark blue pair of pants. None of that's been found. No shoes, none of that stuff. But, you know, uh, something that I've learned from experience is that it doesn't take many seasons of leaves falling and detritus building and trees falling and all of that happening and rain and wind for the soil to build up. And it can quickly bury a lot of stuff that you would think, oh, that will be no no problem at all to find that in the dirt. But it's not true. If we're thinking that it's been seven or eight years since he uh, left and died there, whether it was a homicide or not, we don't know, it's conceivable that there's stuff there, but you just have to dig. I, I mentioned to you the UT forensic um, anthropology experts. They will tell you that, for example, we are very close to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, which is the most visited park in the country. It is not unusual if somebody goes missing and isn't discovered pretty quickly, they might not go discovered. They may Their remains may lay there as woods and trees and leaves all build up over them, and in a matter of time, they could be buried under a foot or two. Yeah, you can certainly see that in more rural areas where it would be a lot tougher to find a body, and they do go missing. It, it is possible. Uh, we've got an old case that uh, a colleague and I have worked on for a while that's actually, once upon a time, it was probably one of the most high-profile murders in the United States in 1976, a U.S. diplomat murdered his family, three sons, his wife, and his mother in Bethesda, and drove their bodies to, you remember this? Drove their bodies to North Carolina, ditched the bodies, but then continued to drive here to uh, the Smokies. Why he picked the Smokies, we're not sure, but he left the station wagon that he carried the bodies in, and he disappeared, and he's never been seen from again. And it's fair to suspect that while he may have jumped on a plane with his altered passport and flown to Rome or wherever, it's also conceivable that his remains are buried way under debris in the Great Smoky Mountains, and he'll never be found. He'd be in his 80s if he's still alive. Well, John, like I said, you can add this one to the list of strange cases that you've covered, and certainly it tragic one for the victim involved here. Do we know what's next in this case? The sheriff's office has put out a public plea this week for help, any kind of information that may be out there. I'm inferring that Clarence, the brother, is long gone. He would have been 77 back in 2012, so do the math. He'd be in his 80s if he's still alive. He may be gone. He's not living in that house now. We know that. Um, So the, the Sheriff's Office is looking for any help they possibly can get. This case, because it's so strange and unusual, it has gotten more attention than kind of your normal would one would, if you will, because uh, we've heard from all kinds of folks. I know the London Daily Mail picked it up. It's It's been all over the place, so maybe that will help. But I think they've got their fingers crossed that they might get more information about what happened to Mr. McCann. Uh, you know how these things go. It's probably a roll of the dice. All right, John North of WBIR in Knoxville, Tennessee. We appreciate you talking to us. Good talking to you. I'm sure we'll do it again. Hey, True Crime Chronicles listeners. This is Spencer Brudig. I'm here with Reed Redman and Will Johnson. Will, I want to start with the teen murder story. 
you know, anytime that you're dealing with kids and murder, it's, it's just adds that extra element of just, just, it's just awful. Yeah. You know, I, I know I sent you a photo of, of the two boys, Tate and, and Robert and, you know, with their backpacks on wearing a, a Panthers, you know, looks like an athletic team t-shirt and just, you know, these smiling faces. And it's, it's a really difficult case to cover. And I know that, you know, we, we have some of the coverage in the story that investigators were just truly, you know, shocked by the crime scene and the way in which they were, they were killed. One final note on that story, uh, Tayton and Robert brothers, Colton and Colby Baker, were raising money uh, after this happened uh, for the funeral expenses for their little brothers, which is just, you know, it breaks your heart even more. They were doing this back, you know, in in the summertime or late summer after this happened. And, you know, they said Tayton and Robert in their GoFundMe request for, I think they were trying to raise $8,000. They said their brothers were good kids who loved who were loved by everyone. They loved playing video games, swimming, hanging out with their family. They had dreams and goals for their family, or rather for their life that will never be able, that they will never be able to fulfill. So, uh, you know, this $8,000 goal was, I believe, met within a matter of days. They had raised, you know, almost all of that in a matter of days. So a touching, you know, end point to to this story that, that really just, you know, is tough to hear. Will, let's let's talk a little bit about that second story that you brought us out of Tennessee. Uh, this this skull story. This is you know this guy found a skull in the woods, brought it into his home, and and put put sunglasses on it. Yeah, I mean, as I discussed with John North in this story, you do think somebody would would potentially report a skull being found on their property or you know wherever they happen to find one but yeah that's that's where it ended up maybe not the choice as john says any of us would have made so have there been any criminal charges filed against the guy who who found who found the skull is there anything actually illegal about bringing a skull into your home apparently not reed i don't i don't know for sure you know but the, the, as far as we know there've been no charges filed against that individual and you know, as far as the case goes, as we've reported, the skull was that of Junior Willie McCann, 79 years old. And there is unverified speculation that he could have been killed by a family member who's now died, according to the district attorney. Uh, but th- there's really no other, you know, leads or evidence that, that point towards anyone else. The Morgan County Sheriff has said, you know, if anyone has information about the case, they can contact the sheriff's office. Uh, you know, one final point on this story, I will add that human remains are often found in that part of Tennessee, Morgan County, according to the district attorney. But they're usually very old and those of Native Americans. So it, I started to read that sentence and it said human remains are often found. But you, you can get the point that, you know, they might be old Native American bones or things like that. And, and oftentimes there are people hunting in the woods for items like arrowheads and axe heads. But nothing like this, nothing quite like a skull. And will I know that John, in our discussions with him, had mentioned that uh, the bones are often found in this area, but the vast majority of the time they're just animal bones, right? Yeah, right. I mean, think about it. Like you know, you're walking along in the woods, and think about deer and other animals that perish or die in the woods, and that's where their bones are left. So it makes sense that a lot of times they're just animal bones, but still uh, reported, right? All right, that wraps up our last episode for the year 2020. Actually, we'll be back next week and next year, I should say, with a new case and a new story. Spencer, where can people go to learn more about us? We have a Facebook group called Inside the Crime Vault. Um, You can discuss 
this story and other stories like it, you can also send us story ideas or if there's a case that you would like uh, us to look into further. We also have some end of year content up there now that uh, I think all of you will uh, like to check out. All right, I'm Will Johnson along with Reed Redmond and Spencer Brudig for True Crime Chronicles. We'll be back next week.